In rural New South Wales, Australia, Alan Baker and Kevin Crump murdered a complete stranger for $20, a packet of cigarettes, and a couple of gallons of gasoline. Then, for no other reason than that one of the men had once worked for her family as a farmhand, they kidnapped Virginia Morse, a young mother of three, from her home. Morse was raped and tortured repeatedly, while Crump and Baker drove to neighboring Queensland. Next, they tied her to a tree and shot her, execution style. When Crump and Baker were finally captured back in New South Wales, the fugitives had a running gun battle with police as their cars raced along a highway. A police officer was wounded in the car duel. In the wake of their 1973 trial, the Australian public was left to ponder whether the two men were insane or, even more chilling, whether their deeds were the result of rational minds gone astray. Because Virginia Morse was killed in Queensland, New South Wales authorities could not charge the pair with her murder. Not wanting to extradite the two men, New South Wales police chose to charge them with conspiracy to murder Virginia Morse. But the New South Wales prosecutors didn't have to rely only on the Morse allegations. Their list of crimes also included the murder of Ian Lamb, the stranger, as well as wounding a policeman and car theft, among other things. It's no surprise that by their mid-twenties, Crump and Baker had extensive criminal records and had spent the majority of their lives in prison. Released within weeks of each other in 1973, they met up on a farm near Bogabilla in western New South Wales, where Baker worked as a hired hand. Crump had stolen a car at Aberdare and picked up Baker at the farm November 2nd. The property owner was not surprised at Baker's abrupt departure since working conditions were poor due to recent rains. The next day, a Saturday, Ian James Lamb, 43, left his home in the central coastal town of Gosford and headed west in search of work as a manual laborer. His mother helped pack his clothes and toiletries and kissed him goodbye at 6.30 a.m. It was the last time she saw her son alive. On the same morning, Crump and Baker bought a 308 rifle and some ammunition in the farming township of Goondiwindi. Their motive for buying the gun was robbery. All they needed was a victim. It was Crump and Baker's intention that they would no longer work. Instead, they would steal for a living. Ian Lamb didn't think twice about pulling over to the roadside and sleeping in his car that Saturday night. The seasonal worker felt secure resting on the front seat of his old car, even though the doors weren't locked and the windows were open to allow what little breeze there was. He lived hand-to-mouth and carried little, if any, cash. He wasn't expecting any trouble. Unfortunately for Lamb, Crump and Baker spotted his car and decided to steal the car's gasoline. Alan Baker's chilling statement tells best what happened next. We both got out of the car. I got the rifle. I loaded it, and I walked over to the car, and I pointed the rifle through the window of the driver's side. And I've seen a man asleep in the front seat. Kevin looked in the back to see if he was by himself, and he was. I knocked on the door with my hands and said, Hey, you. The bloke sat up, and I pulled the trigger and shot him. It hit him in the voice box. Then, for about ten minutes, nothing happened. It was deathly quiet. I was scared. Then I went around to the other side of the car to the passenger side and opened the door. Kev opened the driver's side door, and I went through the man's pockets. I got about $20 out of his pockets and money from the glove box, and I got some cigarettes and his wallet. I don't think there was anything else, but I left it there. I noticed that the man had been drinking because there were some bottles of beer on the floor. I didn't touch them because there was blood on them. Baker then described how they pulled Lamb's body over to the seat to untangle his feet from the brake and clutch pedals so they could drive the car. 
Baker, with Crump following closely behind, drove Lamb's car about 12 miles and abandoned it on sparsely traveled Bald Hill Road. They then loaded Lamb's meager possessions into their own car and took the gas by punching a hole in the tank. Crump, in an attempt to avoid a joint murder charge, told police that he was merely a bystander to Lamb's murder. Allen hopped out of the car with that 308, Crump said. He went over and knocked on the door, and the driver's side window was down when he knocked on the door. And the fellow in the car said, Ah, and Allen put the gun up through the window and shot him. Just shot him through the neck. Here it was, Crump pointed to the center of his throat. Crump's denial of any role in the shooting made little difference. Regardless of who pulled the trigger, the jury convicted them both of murder. Having harvested what they could from Lamb's car, Crump and Baker considered what to do next. Baker decided that their next stop would be the Morse family home in Colorenabry. Baker had once worked there as a farmhand and remembered that there was a rifle in the house. Perhaps there was money too. On the evening of November 6th, three days after the Lamb murder, they set up camp about seven miles away from the farm. At first light, they went to an abandoned police station, which was only a few hundred yards from the Morse's house. They hid their car and began watching. Certain that they were undetected, Crump and Baker walked along a river and across a field where they hid behind haystacks. They then watched the morning routine unfold. Eventually, Virginia Morse's husband, Brian, drove his children to their school bus before heading off for a day's work in the fields. Once Crump and Baker were convinced that Mrs. Morse was alone, they made their way to the farmhouse. They made no attempt to hide their faces, yet this was the only place in the entire district where Baker was known and bound to be recognized. Was it their intention to murder Mrs. Morse? In a later interview, Crump said, We talked about it on the way down from Goodwindy, and Alan said that if there was anyone on the property, they would recognize him and that we might have to kill someone. Was there any further discussion between the two of you along these lines? When we were behind the haystack, Alan said that if Virginia Morse was there, we would take her with us, and he thought the youngest kid was there because he didn't know he was going to school. When we got to the shack, the old police station, we put the petrol in my car and Alan said we would have to get rid of her, but we would take her away and rape her first. Was there any discussion as to how she would be killed? Yes, we had the gun, so we would shoot her. When we got to the river, Alan said that I would have to prove myself and shoot her. Baker continued the narrative during his police interview. I went to the laundry door and waited near the lounge room door, and not knowing if anyone was home, I asked Kevin to go around to the back door and knock, and Mrs. Morse came to the back door where Kevin was, and I was behind Mrs. Morse with a rifle. I said, don't turn around, and she did. I took her in the bedroom and tied her up. After they had searched the house, where they found a 222 rifle and a small sum of money, Baker and Crump bundled Mrs. Morse into her family sedan and drove it to the old police station. Like they did with Lamb, they siphoned the gasoline from Morse's sedan and transferred whatever else was useful to their car. The bound and gagged Morse was dumped on the back seat. Baker told police in a later interview that they had every intention of killing Morse and, if necessary, they would use her as a human shield to protect them from police bullets. Crump and Baker then decided to head north over the border and into Queensland. They stopped at hotels and garages along the way and bought beer and gas with the $30 they had stolen from the Morse homestead. They drove mainly at night to avoid detection. During the approximately 120-mile journey, Morse sobbed and pleaded for her life while Crump and Baker took turns raping her. During a police interview, Baker said of the experience, We took her gag off and she kept on saying, What's going to happen to me? 
My children will be home from school and waiting for me now. I love my children. Please let me go home. I just told her to shut up. Crump and Baker pulled up at a clearing just short of the Queensland border. Here, they staked out Morse with tow ropes tied to trees. Each man raped her again. Prosecutors then alleged that the two men took Morse on into Queensland, where they stopped by the Weir River. To a hushed courtroom, the prosecutor led the last minutes of Virginia Morse's life from Alan Baker's statement. She wasn't tied to the tree. Her hands were tied in front of her with handkerchiefs. She wasn't crying because I think she was beyond that. She'd been crying most of the time she was gagged and blindfolded. I aimed at her with a 308, and Kevin had the 222, and it was going to be like a firing squad. And Kevin pulled the trigger, and she fell to the ground before I could pull the trigger of my gun. If he hadn't shot her, I would, because we both decided to kill her, because we've done those terrible things to her, and she would have been able to identify me because I used to work for her husband. And I knew if she reported me, we'd be in a lot of trouble, and she just had to be shot. As he did with the lamb murder, Crump tried to evade responsibility for Morse's murder in his police statement. I was forced to kill Mrs. Morse by Baker because he wanted me to be in as deep as him. He said he was going to kill me if I didn't. I admit that I was prepared to kidnap Mrs. Morse and even to sleep with her, but once again, as with Mr. Lamb, I did not want to be a part of her death. It was a choice of either me or Mrs. Morse. Crime reporter Joe Morris recalled the court's reaction to the detailed first-hand accounts of the last minutes of Virginia Morse's life. There was a stunned silence. Women were sobbing, and Mr. Brian Morse sat there with his head in his hands. Crump and Baker were smirking at each other. They thought that it was a great joke. What the court didn't hear, as the evidence was suppressed as it was considered to be too shocking, was that Mrs. Morse had three branches inserted into her vagina and a beer bottle inserted into her anus. And it was also kept from public hearing that Crump and Baker were also alleged to have admitted to having sex with her corpse after she was dead. On November 13th, 10 days after Lamb's murder, Crump and Baker's stolen car was recognized in Maitland, near Newcastle, north of Sydney. When the first police cruiser approached Crump and Baker's moving car, they managed to force it off the road. Another cruiser drew alongside the pair. Baker opened fire through the rear window and wounded one of the officers with a bullet to his forehead. But Crump and Baker's car spun out, and after a brief chase and exchange of gunfire with other officers, the two men were finally in custody. At their trial, Crump and Baker pleaded not guilty to the four charges of murdering Ian James Lamb, conspiracy to murder Virginia Morse, maliciously wounding a police officer with intent to prevent lawful apprehension, and shooting at police with intent to prevent lawful apprehension. Both of the accused gave statements from the dock in their own defense. Baker said, I did not mean to shoot the man in the car. The gun was a scare weapon. All I meant to do was to tie the man up and rob him. When I went over to the car and knocked on the door, I said, Hey you! And the guy in the car sat up suddenly and made a noise. And I jumped backward and the gun went off. I know we're responsible for the death of Mrs. Morse. I cannot forget it. And I know I should be punished for that. But we didn't agree to kill her till the day that we actually did it. When the police were questioning me about Mrs. Morse, I felt so bad about it, I just agreed to everything. That's all I can say. Kevin Crump also offered little excuse. I did not kill Mr. Lamb. I agreed to rob him. I knew Baker had a gun. I never thought he would use it. In fact, I never intended to do any harm to Mr. Lamb except tie him up and rob him. As far as the death of Mrs. Morse is concerned, there was no agreement between me and Baker to do so. 
I was forced to kill Mrs. Morse because he wanted me in it as deep as him. He said he was going to kill me if I didn't. It took the jury one hour and 45 minutes to convict Baker and Crump on all charges. Baker showed no emotion at the verdict, while Crump appeared to stare at the floor and shudder. Mr. Justice Taylor then sentenced both men to life imprisonment. He said, You have outraged all accepted standards of the behavior of men. The description of men ill becomes you. You'd be more aptly described as animals, and obscene animals at that. I believe that you should spend the rest of your lives in jail, and there you should die. If ever there was a case where life imprisonment should mean what it says, imprisonment for the whole of your lives, this is it. While Taylor was passing sentence on Crump and Baker, Virginia Morse's husband got up and hurriedly walked from the courtroom. In the early years of their incarceration, Crump and Baker lived quite happily as man and wife at Long Bay Jail's notorious Cattingal section. When a television camera crew was allowed through Cattingal in the late 1970s, the public saw how seemingly easy the two were doing their time. After the ensuing outcry, Crump and Baker were separated. It's unlikely they'll receive parole. All anyone has to do is look at Taylor's sentencing recommendation. If in the future some application is made that you be released on the grounds of clemency or of mercy, then I would venture to suggest to those who are entrusted with the task of determining whether you are entitled to it or not, that the measurement of your entitlement to either should be the clemency and mercy you extended to this woman when she begged you for her life. Crump and Baker are now in separate maximum security prisons in New South Wales. Some people build a life in prison, and when they're released, they don't have the social skills to blend in, so they use the prison rules in peaceful communities. Their intention was to have some fun before they get back home. Maximum security prisons were always their home.